Welcome to Iron Matters, the podcast series brought to you by Hemochromatosis Australia. In this episode, we're talking about the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood's therapeutic donor program with Dr. Peter Bentley, who is the Senior Medical Officer at the Australian Red Cross Blood Service in Perth. Hello, Dr. Bentley. Hello. Uh, please, to start off with, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your role uh, within the Australian Red Cross Blood Service. Well, in, in the blood service, my role is mainly around clinical governance, um, looking after medical officers within the, uh, within the blood service. It's a clinical governance role. I also help manage the therapeutic program that the blood service runs, and I've been involved in that since we started with the therapeutic app back in 2013. And I'm also involved in looking after the medical microbiologists within the blood service, as well as doing some other policy work. By way of context, I was a general practitioner for many years before, um, before I went into medical management, and I worked as a director of medical services at Charles Gardner Hospital and also for the WA health departments. I've been involved in medical management as well as in frontline general practice as well. And do you have any particular areas of clinical interest yourself? Well, when I was a GP, I was particularly interested in sports medicine, but my main uh, is family medicine, really. And in, in, in that role, we did see people with hemochromatosis, iron overload disorders, liver problems and so on that we needed to investigate. So, you know, that's been an interest. And uh, since I've been with the blood service, uh, hemochromatosis, iron overload disorders, how they're managed and how we manage them at the blood service have been important. Mm. So I guess having as your specialty, um, the Australian Red Cross Blood Services Therapeutic Donor Program, would you be able to tell us about this program and, and why it's important for people with hemochromatosis? Yeah, well, I think it's important because we provide a national service so uh, people in most places can access our facilities we provide a standardized approach to the um, to the management and assessment of people who are referred to us with hemochromatosis or other iron overload disorders and it's important for, for patients themselves because we have a very skilled group of staff who do phlebotomy all the time and understand you know the anxieties and so on that go with that so they're likely to be able to have a comfortable experience donating blood at, uh, at our centers and um, how many people do you currently have on your books who registered as therapeutic donors? Um, well, it, maybe putting it in another way, we have at least 40,000 therapeutic donations a year and we receive maybe 4,500 new referrals a year from general practitioners and specialists who are registered with our app. So um, all, all that adds up to quite a significant amount of uh, blood provided for our community, 40,000 uh, donations of which we use a fair proportion, contribute about 4% of the red cell supply for the Australian community. So it's um, it's a growing group within the blood service because a donor will stay as a, as a donor, therapeutic donor, probably for most of their life, if not all of it. So there is something of a symbiotic relationship between um, the hemochromatosis cohort and the Australian Red Cross Blood Service. Absolutely. We're, we're very grateful that they come and donate with us, uh, should they be um, suitable donors at, at, our, at our facilities. And I think in the main, uh, they're very happy with uh, the service that we can provide. I suppose the other thing is they can move around Australia and still come to our, our centres. And a lot of them are older people who do a fair bit of travelling and, and can donate at any one of our centres, all, all of which are linked up to the same um, same computer system so people can see what they need to see when uh, when running through a donation. Mm. So typically the blood that's donated by people with hemochromatosis, um, is there any reason to exclude it from the general pool of donations or does it fall into a particular category or special category? Uh, no, um, what we would do is 
test the eligibility of each donor as they come, or each patient in this case, as they come to our centres. If they meet the donor safety requirements, of which we have quite a few, they can donate. And in the case of a therapeutic donor, they have to meet the product safety requirements as well for us to use their blood to make blood and blood products. So in the main, we use probably about 80% of therapeutic donations to contribute to the blood product and blood supply of Australia. People who can't come to us are people who've got significant medical problems in the main. And you know, our facilities aren't manned by medical staff, they're manned by nurses and trained health professionals. So we don't provide a medical service per se. And these um, therapeutic donors are looked after by their own doctors from, from the medical perspective, not, not by us. Ah, yes. So could you take us through then the, um, the referral process? Yes. You know, should a GP simply tell their patients to go to the nearest donation centre or is there is a protocol to yeah, observe? No, there? they shouldn't do that. They should go online and look up High Ferritin. If they search for High Ferritin uh, or go to highferritin.transfusion.com, they'll find the app. They can use it on their computer or their smartphone or tablet. They'll be taken through a series of questions on the app and if their patient meets our therapeutic criteria, they'll be um, asked to put in some demographic details and from there, if, if they're approved, a notification to our contact centre will be made on their behalf and we'll organise some appointments for their patient. So it's yeah. very straightforward. So, Peter, how often will a person give blood as a therapeutic donor? Uh, well, volunteer donors can only give blood every three months, and we do that for donor safety reasons and to protect them from iron loss. Therapeutic donors are usually iron overloaded, so they can often donate even weekly to start off with until we get their ferritin under control. And, and the process is designed by their doctor who tells us what schedule of venesection they should undertake and monitors their ferritin. As their ferritin comes down, their venesection schedule will be um, less frequent. Mm. So uh, over what period of time can or would people typically continue to donate? Well, it's a lifelong illness, so generally if, until they can't donate anymore for other medical reasons. So they tend to end up doing three monthly or six monthly donations for most of their life. And their doctor would be monitoring their ferritin at all times to see if they needed further um, or increased frequency donations. Yes. Um, does a person with hereditary hemochromatosis ever st stop having to have that blood removed? Well, I think philosophically, no, but if they became unwell with other problems that might be uh, of higher importance, then, then perhaps they, they shouldn't come in. So as people get older, often they develop other things that might prevent them from donating blood, and often they might be more serious than the need to continue to donate for hemochromatosis purposes. And as they get older, they're not likely to accumulate iron to the extent that that could cause tissue damage in the same way as they would over a long period of time if they mm. left their donations at a younger age. Are there cases when the blood service actually won't take blood from someone with hemochromatosis? Yes, there, there are times where we can't accept people, particularly people who've got uh, viral illnesses that could be transmitted by blood, such as hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HIV, and um, they're also dangerous from a staff health perspective to have people with transmissible illnesses in, in our centres. We also won't take people who have significant medical problems because, as I've mentioned, we're not a medical facility and uh, we don't want to put donors at risk. Mm. So there's no criteria that are unique to haemochromatosis? True, although we will take some people with haemochromatosis that we wouldn't take as volunteer donors because we can discard their blood. And they're people, for example, who have our uh, famous CJD deferral for people who've lived in the UK between 1980 and 1996. Those people can't come to us as volunteer donors, but we will accept them as therapeutic donors and discard their blood. Mm. So what are some of the challenges for people needing to have venesections so early in their treatment? 
Well, I think the challenges include, you know, venesection can cause problems. They, they can faint. That's quite a common problem with venesection. They can develop problems around where the phlebotomy is done. You know, not commonly, but these things do occur. With regard to early treatment with hemochromatosis, people often have to come in frequently and we still have to go through the exact same process each time, which includes a donor questionnaire, doing all the mandatory blood tests and so on. So there's a, a little bit of process involved with each donation, which sometimes is frustrating for people who come in frequently, particularly weekly or two weekly in their first um, set of donations. And what are some of the concerns that people actually harbour when they approach venesection for the, for the first time? Well, I think they're, they're shared by our volunteer donors who come for the first time, which include, uh, you know, fear of fainting, I think, is a common one. Fear of needles is common. You know, some people are needle phobic, so those people uh, are worried about how much it might hurt, um, which in general it it doesn't hurt a great deal. Convenience is an issue. You know, sometimes people are worried about how much time it's going to take, how long they're going to be held in the donor centre afterwards, those, those sort of things. I mean, basically, blood donations are very safe, relatively painless, and, and most people find it quite rewarding and enjoyable because they know that their products are going to be used for the good of the Australian community. Mm. Let's um, talk a little bit about the High Ferritin app. Mm. How did it come into being and how, how important is it to the way you operate with people with haemochromatosis? The High Ferritin app um, was designed as a consequence of us noting that paper referrals were very time consuming for us and doctors um, and they took us a long time to, to manage and they were often managed differently in different states by different doctors who would be assessing them. So there was a bit of inconsistency around our approach to them and there was no underlying um, evidence-based approach from a process point of view that made sure that we were only taking people who really did have a reason for therapeutic venesection. So um, we designed the app on the basis that that would streamline referring doctors life by, by taking out a fair bit of paperwork and also allowing an evidence-based algorithm to, to sit behind the app so that um, all the work was done in the app and, and it wasn't uh, a a doctor at the blood service having to reassess each um, referral on its merits. And what's, what that's done for us is allow us to deal with all therapeutic donors, no matter where they are in Australia, on a, in a standardised and evidence-based way. We've allowed the turnaround time to be massively improved so they get their appointments within 48 hours generally of of the referral, whereas in the past it took us a while to get through all the work. It means that certainly doctors have a much easier life their patients have an easier life because they hear about their outcome more quickly and our people have a much easier life because we don't have to assess lots of paper referrals. And the community benefits as well because we've, we're encouraging blood donation and um, the products are mainly used for the, for the good of the community. Well, this is probably another opportunity to actually let people know how to access the app. Where do you go and how do you find it? Accessing the High Ferritin app, you can just Google High Ferritin and it will come up or go to transfusion.com.au and it's it's on the front page of that uh, website, which is our website for doctors and, and hospitals. So um, moving on to research now, what's happening in the world of venesection and the impact on iron overload? Where are we and where do we think we're going? With regards to the research side of things, the, the app's also allowed us to be involved in research, by the way, because doctors can... 
um, enrol their patients in research that is particularly targeted at particular types of haemochromatosis that we may have researchers using our app to assist with. So that, that's one, one side of the app we haven't mentioned where we're facilitating research into haemochromatosis. I think the things that have come through in recent years, and one of the main ones, is the safety of using blood products from haemochromatosis patients to make blood and blood products for our community. And there was a publication which demonstrated that therapeutic donations from Australian blood donors are at least as safe and probably safer actually uh, in terms of uh, infectious diseases and so on than, than from volunteer donors and that was published in the, the journal Transfusion and accompanied by an editorial which encouraged other countries to follow our example of using blood and blood products from haemochromatosis patients which it isn't currently done in a lot of places so that was quite a, a, a big uh, win for the for our approach to, um, to therapeutic venesection. I guess the other sorts of research we've been doing lately include looking at the very frequent donations that we do in the first when people are first referred and they need to come in weekly or so on. Occasionally what happens is their haemoglobin can drop. Usually we don't take people whose haemoglobin is under a certain threshold, but we, we have done with therapeutic donors because we want to remove iron. And we've just done some research to show that that is a safe approach and it's in, in the publication process at the moment. So that, that may be an, another useful piece of work that demonstrates that what we've been doing is actually safe and reasonable even though you know we've never had a problem with it but we, we'd like to have it supported by evidence and that's that's what we we now have and I guess the other bit of, of research that has been important lately has been the um, the use of red blood cell indices by general practitioners to be um, alerted to the fact that there may be it may be worth looking for hemochromatosis in a patient. So as a sort of uh, a screening test rather than just relying on ferritin to look at um, MCV, MCHC and MCH, which are red cell indices that doctors do very, very regularly and, and sometimes, um, you know, sometimes there's an underlying reason why those might be abnormal, but recently we've shown that they are quite sensitive and, and specific for haemochromatosis. So it may, it may be worth them considering looking at the genetics in people that they see abnormalities in those indices. Just back on the app for a moment, does the data that is collected by the app uh, have an opportunity to become part of the patient's general medical record? Can it be used by other clinicians or in, in other ways to uh, keep them on track? Well, we do collect data about the frequency of donation and send reminders through our system when donors, patients need another referral and maybe another assessment of how their ferritin level is going. So that's one, one side of it that helps doctors keep a track of their their patients. At the moment, unfortunately, we haven't been able to set up a system where we can share all of our data with referring doctors, but we, we have been looking into the use of My Health Record for, for that purpose. Perhaps that's something down the track that may be of use. And is there anything else um, that we could look forward to in the future? Well, one thing I'd really like to do is to help GPs by integrating our, our app into their software systems so that they would have less work to do uh, when it comes to populating with past history, demographics and so on. And we have been looking at that to a certain extent, but uh, again, that might be a little bit down the track. I, I think that's, that's something that would make a big difference. We're constantly refining the app based on GP feedback as well. So, I mean, we encourage people to let us know if there's a an improvement that they can see that we, we could potentially um, implement. Now, the Australian Red Cross Blood Service works closely with Hemochromatosis Australia. Do you direct people towards Hemochromatosis Australia as a resource, as perhaps somewhere to 
increase their knowledge of their condition or perhaps uh, share that knowledge with family members, etc. We often do, uh, but usually the people with hemochromatosis that we see have already uh, come to the conclusion that they should be involved with Hemochromatose Australia. It's often for people who come in and haven't yet been fully assessed and we refer them back to their doctors and, and to Hemochromatose Australia for assistance. So, you know, new new patients, new or potential new patients, we would refer. Yeah, but as you say, we have quite a close relationship with Hemochromatose Australia and we appreciate their support and, uh, and we'd like to interact as much as possible with them in terms of where research is heading, how we can assist their, their um, people become uh, patients with us. Dr Peter Bentley, thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you. To listen to more podcasts in this series, subscribe to Iron Matters in your podcast app or find us at www.ha.org.au slash iron matters. <laughs>